The Apostle John pauses three times in the book of Revelation to give us a glimpse of worship in heaven. While apocalyptic disasters are happening on earth during the tribulation, exhilarating worship takes place around the throne of God. The Spirit transports John into the awesome presence of God who is almighty in power and pure in holiness. Revelation 4, 10, and 11 says, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis, thanks for listening. Well, in the first three chapters of Revelation, Jesus asks John to write down the things that are. Today, Ron turns his attention to Revelation chapters four and five, when John is asked to write down the things that are yet to come. It all comes your way next as Ron continues his teaching series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, the last days of planet Earth, and the return of Jesus Christ. Stay with us now or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Oh, and while you're there, check out Something Good Television, Something Good Courses, Something Good Travel, and the new Something Good Digital Library where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. From Revelation 4 and 5, here's Ron with today's Something Good radio message, The Church in Heavenly Worship. Well, like a curious brown monkey named George, most of us are inquisitive beings, aren't we? Uh, We love to look kind of behind the scenes into things that we think are a bit mysterious and even majestic. I think that's why people will stand in line for hours outside the White House to get a tour of the White House in Washington, D.C., or or maybe to go to Buckingham Palace in London, just to catch a glimpse of something that is mysterious to us, a glimpse of something that is majestic to us. Now, curiosity is also what sparks our interest in the future, isn't it? And in what the Bible says about the future. But friends, if Bible prophecy does nothing more than tweak our curiosity, then we've missed the eternal purpose of Bible prophecy and the purpose for which God pulls back the veil and gives us a glimpse into the future. I believe there are at least three reasons why He does that. The first is to purify believers, to purify the body of Christ. The second is to provoke unbelievers. And the third is to prepare the entire world for the return of His Son and our Savior, the soon return of Jesus Christ, which is the predominant theme of the book of Revelation. Now, Revelation chapter 4 begins with a, a curious and I would even say breathtaking glimpse into something mysterious and, and certainly majestic. It's a glimpse of the church, the future church in heavenly worship. Why do I say the church in heavenly worship? Well, because uh, even though the book of Revelation does not explicitly teach an event in future Bible history known as the rapture of the church, it's inferred in these chapters. It's inferred here. 
Uh, the, the inference is that suddenly millions of people disappear from planet Earth and are suddenly found in heaven in this heavenly worship experience. And John begins the transition from chapters 1, 2, and 3 to a significant shift in the book of Revelation in chapter 4, and he begins it this way in verse 1. He says, after this, after what? After the seven letters to the seven churches, which we uh, said in weeks past represent the flow of church history in seven distinct and consecutive periods of time. After this, I looked And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice, a familiar voice now to John, the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. That's rapture language. Come up here, John. And I will show you what must take place after this. You may remember back in chapter 1, Jesus kind of gave John an outline for the book of Revelation, and if you're into outlines and orderly thinking, this, this helps you. It helps me, certainly, where Jesus says to John, write therefore the things that you have seen. That was his vision of Jesus in John chapter 1. Then the things that are, uh, that was the letter to the seven churches, seven actual, physical, real-to-life churches in, in real time, in real space, in real history from John's perspective, the things that are. And now in chapter 4 forward, Jesus turns John's attention to those things that now must take place. And John is standing before a door, heaven's door. How ironic it is that chapter 3 ends with Jesus standing at the door of the lukewarm church, knocking on that that door and calling out to the inhabitants of the church, to his bride, saying, let me in, let me in. And now in chapter 4, John is standing before a door, only it's heaven's door, and the door is flung wide open, and he's invited in, and he gets to experience a heavenly worship service that is mysterious, (laughs) and it's majestic because God is there. And there is a shift, a major shift that takes place in the flow of biblical thought here from chapters 4 and forward. You see, I believe that the next event on God's prophetic calendar is indeed the rapture of the church. If the only place where we could make an argument for that is the book of Revelation, then that event would stand on shaky ground because it's not explicitly taught, it's inferred, but you got to go back to some other passages of Scripture like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, John chapter 14, I'll even add 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where an event known as the rapture is mentioned, and and in the twinkling of an eye, the disappearance of millions of believers from planet Earth. I believe that's inferred from chapter 3 to chapter 4, where now John is caught up into this heavenly worship experience where the church, raptured, the raptured church is now experiencing worship in heaven. So if you're thinking of the, f- the flow of thought in Revelation up to this time, and I know the book of Revelation can be a bit intimidating and a bit confusing, but outlines kind of help if you're an orderly thinker. Chapter 1, we have the vision of Jesus, like we've never seen Him before, uh, glorified and resurrected. This is not the Jesus of Bethlehem. This is the Jesus who ascended to the Father and he's glorified, and he's resurrected. In chapters 2 and 3, we have the seven letters to the seven churches, actual churches in real time, in real space, in real history, but also representative, we might say, of the flow of church history in seven periods leading up to 
uh, the next event on God's prophetic calendar. Then in chapters 4 and 5, the church in heavenly worship. Chapters 6 through 18 in the book of Revelation detail the tribulation period, also known in the Old Testament as Jacob's trouble. Remember, the tribulation on earth is, is, is God giving His attention back to the nation of Israel. So it's Jacob's trouble. It's Daniel's 70th week. And all of the language, all of the symbols that are used in chapters 6 through 18 uh, relate to God's dealing with Israel in the Old Testament. And so a lot of the uh, symbolism of Revelation, if you go back into the Old Testament, you can, you can get clues as to what these things meant because God is focusing His attention on the nation of Israel again during that seven-year uh, seven period of time. And this points again to a shift in God's uh, prophetic plan from chapters 16 and forward. And then 19 through the end of the book is the second coming of Christ, the eternal state, the new heaven, the new earth, and all of that. So you got kind of a an outline in your head and the flow of prophetic thought here in the book of Revelation. I don't know if that helps you, but it helps me kind of get my, my arms around this, this incredible and mysterious book. Now, back to chapter 4, the Spirit of God transports John into the presence of God, into the awesome, holy, magnificent presence of God. And it's a stunning scene for John, fraught with mystery and majesty at the same time. It kind of reminds me of the first time I got a West Wing tour of the White House. You know, you can go to Washington, D.C. and get an East Wing tour. That's kind of the tourist's tour. But you need a member of Congress to approve a West Wing tour and at a time when the president isn't in the, in the Oval Office or anywhere near the White House. He's got to be traveling somewhere. And when we arrived in Washington many, many years ago, somebody made a few phone calls and said, hey, you know, you want to go see the West Wing? We said, sure, we'd love to. And Catherine and I and the kids went over to the White House and you go on this guided tour in small little groups, and the whole West Wing is a lot smaller than it seems, right? just a narrow kind of office building. Oval Office isn't as big as it appears on television. But when we got to that space, uh, it was roped off. You couldn't go inside. But I remember peeking my head around the corner and seeing that famous resolute desk behind which the President of the United States sits. And I would have to multiply my, my sense of awesomeness at that time. I'd have to multiply it a million times over to capture the sense of what John felt when he stood at heaven's door, the door flings open, and he catches a glimpse of what he says is a throne that stood in heaven. And if you read on a little bit further in, in chapter 4, it says there is a sea of glass between the throne and anybody around the throne. Scholars have tried to make all kinds of things related to the sea of glass, saying, well, it means this or it means that. We're really not told any particular meaning behind the sea of glass, but I do notice a couple of things. It, it creates some distance, kind of like that rope between my tour group and the Oval Office. There was, some there was such awesomeness and such magnificence and majesty around the throne that there is a sea of glass between anybody who gets near the throne of God and the throne itself. And, and it's also a sea of glass. There are no tempestuous waves here. The suggestion is that all is calm. Yes, while the church is worshiping in heaven, while great apocalyptic events are happening on earth, God is seated on His throne. All is calm around Him. He's not wringing His hands in worry. What seemingly is going wildly out of control on earth 
No, he heaven has it sovereignly under control. There's a sea of glass all around the throne. And worship that is taking place in so many places around it. Now, John pauses three times in the book of Revelation to give us a glimpse of worship in heaven, once in chapter 4, again in chapter 5, and then again in chapter 7. Again, while apocalyptic things are happening on the earth below, a tribulation that the world has never experienced before, there's worship happening in heaven. Again, in my understanding of the flow of biblical thoughts and, and uh, events, uh, the church is raptured. The church is experiencing worship, and later we'll talk about the judgment seat of Christ that is taking place simultaneously to all that is happening on planet earth during that seven years of tribulation. But John gives us this glimpse of worship in heaven three different times, and, and boy, it, it, it's mysterious. There's a lot happening around the throne of God. And let's talk about some of it. Up next, the second half of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Church in Heavenly Worship. If you're listening to Something Good Radio for the first time, we'd like to send you a free chapter of Ron's most popular book, Mysteries of the Afterlife. It's our way of saying thanks for being part of our radio listening family. Stop by our new and improved website, somethinggoodradio.org, and click on the I'm New icon right at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org. While you're there, share your prayer request with us by clicking on Explore at the top of the homepage, then scrolling down to the How Can We Pray For You option. Our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer, so contact us anytime. Have you ever wondered what God will look like in heaven? or what it will be like to worship Him once we're there. Answers come your way next in the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, The Church in Heavenly Worship. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones. First of all, we, we see the Holy Trinity there, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God who expresses Himself in three distinct persons and personalities. John says, I saw one seated on the throne most likely a reference to God the Father who planned our salvation. And then he sees off in the distance a lamb, as it were, that was slain, a lamb that looks like a lion and a lion that looks like a lamb. This is no doubt a reference to the second member of the Trinity, God the Son who purchased our salvation on the cross. And then there's another reference to the seven spirits of God. Well, we bumped into that in chapter 1. This is a reference not to seven Holy Spirits, but to one Holy Spirit with a sevenfold ministry throughout the earth. Cross-reference uh, Isaiah chapter 14 on that. But all of them are present here in heaven, the Father, the Son, and a Holy Spirit. This is a, a holy trinity worship, we might say. Now, the Bible says nobody has actually seen God with their own eyes. And so John reaches for all kinds of ways to describe what he sees here. And he says in verse 3 that he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. Now, Jasper and Carnelian were the first and last stones in the breastplate of the high priest in the Old Testament. Keep that in mind because when we unpack the mystery of the 24 elders, that's going to be important as a, as a way of pointing to the priesthood of the believers or the church itself. Um, there's this, this beautiful expression of Carnelian and, and Jasper uh, as it emanates from the throne. And then John says, around the throne there was a rainbow that had the appearance 
of an emerald, a full, complete rainbow. Wouldn't you love to see something like that? There have been a couple times in my life where I've, I've seen a rainbow that just took my breath away. One time I was in uh, Buena Vista, Colorado, the beautiful place, and after a springtime rain, this, this rainbow just arced across the Colorado mountains. What we see is half of a rainbow, right? As beautiful and as majestic as that is on planet Earth, in heaven the rainbow goes all around. It's a complete circle. And it's a reminder, if nothing else, that everything in heaven is complete. What we have on earth, what we experience on earth is incomplete. Kind of reminds me of what the Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. The rainbow reminds us of that. Everything in heaven is complete. And all of our knowledge, all of our understanding, all of our experiences, we look through a glass darkly in this world, don't we? A puzzling reflections of a mirror, uh, one translation of Scripture says. That's, that's how we view life and eternity from our human and earthly perspective. But in heaven, everything is full. Everything is complete. Our knowledge, our understanding, even the beauty that we experience. And, and then we come to this reference to 24 thrones and 24 elders that are seated on these thrones. What is that all about? I mean, th these are some mysterious beings that we have to kind of understand who they are, why are they there, and how are we to understand this? Well, scholars throughout the ages have been kind of mixed on their interpretation here. Some say they're angels. Um, Others say that the 24 elders represent the saints from all the ages, Old Testament and New Testament, the 24 or the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. Well, the math works there, but it might be a little bit of a stretch to apply the number 24 that way. Uh, still another group says that this represents the church. Now, in the Old Testament, again, a lot of times you interpret the book of Revelation and, and the symbolism of it by reaching back into the Old Testament and finding some clues. In the Old Testament, there was a body of elders, 24 of them, that represented the entirety of the, of the body of priests that served the house of Israel. And I think this is probably a reference to that. And in the same way that those 24 priests in the Old Testament represented an entire body of priests that served the house of Israel, these 24 elders probably are uh, singularly representing the church in its entirety. And, and that's where I land in an interpretive way, that these 24 elders are, are best a representation of the church, the church, the raptured church of Jesus Christ in heavenly worship. Why else do I say that? Well, because it goes on to tell us that these 24 elders are clothed in white garments, a reference to the fact that they have experienced forgiveness, they have experienced redemption, something that angels never experience, by the way. Peter tells us that angels look into our experience with the grace of God and with redemption and forgiveness. They look into it with curiosity. But they are, they are not participants in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ as we are. So uh, the fact that these elders are clothed in white garments, they can't be angels, uh, again, points to uh, the church, the saints 
who have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Theologians disagree about where the church will be during the seven-year tribulation on earth, but the day is coming when we will see Christ face to face. We will know Him as He truly is, and we can say, as the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, For our light and temporary affliction is producing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs our troubles. If you missed part of today's message, The Church in Heavenly Worship, or if you'd like to hear it again, visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. If you've been with us for a while, if you're a regular listener and God is using this broadcast in your life, I want to speak directly to you. When you first tuned in or streamed Something Good, Did you know that other people paid to air that program? We call them our ministry partners. They have people just like you in mind when they donate monthly to Something Good, which is a 100% listener-supported ministry. Now that you're a regular listener, will you do the same? Will you help us share something good with someone else? We created the 828 Club for people who choose to partner with this ministry through prayer and monthly financial support. It's based on Romans 8.28, which in the message says, every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. I'm asking you to prayerfully consider joining the 828 Club today by giving $28 or more per month to share something good with someone else. And when you do, we'll send you some resources to help you grow in your relationship with God. It's our way of saying thanks for your partnership in this gospel ministry. So please join the 828 Club today. Here's Brian with all the details. None of us can accomplish God's will without a little help. Today, with your help, Something Good Radio will keep sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ through these radio and internet broadcasts. When you partner with us, we'll send you a free copy of Ron Jones' full-length book, Mysteries of the Afterlife, exploring its amazing secrets. To join the 828 Club today, please visit our new and improved website, somethinggoodradio.org and use the Partners tab at the top of the homepage. That's somethinggoodradio.org or call 757-276-1099. If you can't become a partner but would like to make a donation to Something Good Radio today, we'd love for you to have the complete audio download of the series that you're hearing now, Mysteries of the Apocalypse, The Last Days of Planet Earth and The Return of Jesus Christ. That's all 20 messages in Ron's teaching series, Mysteries of the Apocalypse. Our gift to you by request for your gift to Something Good Radio. Make a donation online at somethinggoodradio.org or you can mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. By the way, what do you think of Jesus? What's your opinion of Him? Is it formed by people who say, yeah, that Jesus, He was a good moral man and taught some lofty ideals, and uh, that's about the extent of it? Or are you listening to what the angels say of Jesus, the angels who know Him best? Oh, yeah, when the church worships worships Jesus, the the world kind of turns away. But when the angels who have been with Him for a lot longer and have proximity to Him. They know Him like the world doesn't. 
and they say things about him the world never will. Like you are worthy, Jesus, of honor and glory and power and wealth and wisdom and might. It all belongs to you. Oh, there have been despots and dictators and world leaders that have tried to steal a little bit of that from time to time. And God in His sovereignty allows that for a period of time. But everyone that rises up, He brings down. The only one who is worthy of all honor and glory and wisdom and wealth and power is the lamb who looks like a lion and the lion who looks like a lamb. The one who, as it were, was slain for you and for me. That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Church in Heavenly Worship. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. God bless and thanks for listening.